Welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw, and I'm here with Mr. Michael Shutt. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. You know, state didn't quite cover, but uh, I'm great. (laughs) You know, can I tell you something? We were texting back and forth during um, the week one games, and that Thursday night when state played UConn, I was so convinced. I wasn't looking at my my betting account, and I knew I had teased it down, and I thought I had teased it down to like, actually, no, I know what it is. I Sorry, I forgot that I teased it down, so I thought I needed them to win by two touchdowns. Turns mm-hmm. out I teased it down to nine and a half, and they covered that, so I actually won money when I thought that I didn't, so That's I'm still riding nice. high from that. It's always nice to find some extra change under the couch cushions. That's right. I didn't lose a single bet this weekend. Can we just say that out front? That's, that's pretty good. I did. Yeah. I lost yeah. a few. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I had a, I'm not the one of the two of us that had a, a really exciting week one. You, you traveled. How are you? I'm good. We're recording this on Wednesday evening, and I just got home from a wonderful trip to Nashville, Tennessee where I got to watch UVA play the Volunteers. And that was a really fun experience. I will say, out of the gate, this game was supposed to be a neutral game. Mm. And I knew it wasn't going to be neutral in the sense that there were going to be a lot of Tennessee fans. And it was probably like 90% by my estimation, Tennessee fans, which totally expected. But I kind of thought that there would be like, you know, both teams would be introduced on the jumbotron and -hmm. you know both bands would be there and stuff no it was like full-on tennessee intro music band on the field like it was not neutral in any sense of the word which is fine wouldn't have made a difference just was an interesting thing to note Um, maybe it would have made a difference you never know yeah that's true maybe if we only had our kept (laughs) (laughs) that's what kept uva from from winning now that i mean not to get too far into this but i i uh i don't think that would have done it i uh i won't because we're not getting paid to i'm not gonna give a plug for my employer but i do work at a local establishment that hosts uva watch parties and we have a special for when uva scores touchdowns and uh only got to do that once there was there was just the one time those five minutes though probably a wild yeah. experience oh i mean people stormed the bar yeah so we do two dollar two dollar pints for when for five minutes after uva scores a touchdown and they uh they love that but it only happened the one time i was i had the speaker ready to play the good old song and everything and just barely got to do it yeah they had so many chances in the first half where tennessee gave them a short field they like arrogantly went for it on fourth down in their own like inside their own 30 yard line and got stuffed and uva like shanked a field goal that would have at least put them up on the board they had several other opportunities too where like they they had short fields and the offense just couldn't get anything going the offensive line really struggled for uva and i will say tennessee 
their defense looks a lot better than I would have thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew that they improved between year one and year two of their coordinator, but they have some speed that <laughs> Tony Musket was running for his life for most of the game and then, you know, got injured in the fourth quarter. But uh, yeah, it was it was a cool experience. The Tennessee fans were very nice from every experience that I had with them. We had a nice tailgate before the game, managed to get out of the stadium a few minutes early so that I could catch the end of the TCU Colorado game, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute. All all very fun. But, you know, all of that just pales in comparison to spending part of my Sunday on Broadway in Nashville, which was just delightful. Got to walk through just every bachelorette party you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it was just an absolute delight. Yeah, that uh definitely of the of the two of us, I think that you're the one least I mean, I don't I would not enjoy that either, but you know, our listeners may not know you very well. That sounds like <laughs> your personal hell though. Yeah, we didn't go into any of the honky tonks or fake honky tonks that, yeah. you know, are sponsored by Kid Rock or right. Miranda Lambert or any of those people that are on the strip. But oh boy, there was a lot uh we, we it, went relatively early in the day, like it was before noon, and yeah. there were already people that were like out of their mind, just you know, no concept of time or space wandering around there. It was right. it was a mess. It's it's definitely sensory overload, right? Walking down the street. Like the fun thing is when I was last there, we were we kind of drove da- we drove down Broadway. We were kind of like looking for a place to park and stuff like that. And when you drive down especially, but even just walking down, right? Everybody, especially at night, everybody has their windows open at these honky tonks, these different bands playing in every place and it's just like it's a lot. There's a lot to take in. It's overwhelming. Fun town though. Uh it is cool. I, I definitely think if you're if you're ready to do all that, it's it's fun, but sometimes it can be a bit much. But uh I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah. Had had a lot of fun. But yeah, it was uh that game wasn't exactly the most competitive game of the day, but there were a lot of really fun games over the first weekend, Saturday and beyond, starting with that Colorado game which yeah. was a ton of fun and the post game press conference was almost <laughs> more fun than the game itself but just an incredible performance from Colorado putting themselves on the map Dion making good on his promise from game 1 on mhm yeah this was wild i i uh it's very in line with sort of the take that i think both of us agreed on going into week 1 which was in terms of betting, like, wouldn't touch this game. It felt like, you know, I'm not going to say going in that I was like, oh, Colorado's definitely going to win this game. You know, I thought there was a chance of that. But, like, this wasn't the most surprising outcome to me. But it was definitely, like, looking at it, TCU had this line of, what was it? It was like 21, wasn't it? Yeah, it was close to 21. And it, it that never felt right to me. Not because I, you know, had some prescient notion that like Colorado was gonna win or or anything like that again it's just like we didn't know right they have like 86 new players (laughs) it's so hard to imagine that there's an accurate line on that game when no one knew what to expect from this team and you can say whatever you want you know I would have I would have bet that Travis Hunter would have an impressive game 
would I have bet that he's going to have the game to the magnitude of, uh, of what he did where you're talking about a guy with over 100 yards receiving and then some lockdown snaps at corner, including a touchdown-saving interception that creates a difference in the game. Did I think that Shador Sanders was going to throw for over 500 yards <laughs> and four touchdowns? Like, no, none of that stuff. I, I thought this could be a competitive game. I thought that Colorado might cover the 21-point line, but I didn't. I just didn't know what to expect. And here we are in a situation where Colorado won and they're one to know. Now, does that make them national championship contenders immediately? No, this is a TCU team with problems, right? Like they lost a lot of talent. They lost just about everybody who contributed in a major way to their run to the national championship game last, last year. So, you know, let's not get too carried away with this, but impressive. Like definitely impressive, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a believer that this team. We talk about that. Like we go back to the season bets and think about that over of like what was it, like three and a half. I think they can, they definitely can do that. Yeah, that that bet looks really good. <laughs> you yeah. got that at over three and a half. Uh, yeah, I TCU's defense was not very good, but it doesn't matter how good or bad a defense is if you're throwing for 510 yards. Like, that's ridiculous. That's video game numbers. And accurate, minute too. One. 38 yeah. 47. Yeah. He was picking them apart. I feel like we have to get on the record just to say that we're believers because otherwise, Dion and his receipts will come after us. Absolutely. That was such a, that was such a strange press conference, but also, like, very on-brand for Dion to just come out and be, like, attacking reporters and being like, I know what you said. I got receipts, uh, like, from minute one. But... You know, at the same time, it also clearly has galvanized his team. Like, that's that's something that I don't think Dion gets enough credit for is, you know, he gets credit for the team building of, like, getting people to come in the door. But he has clearly got those players bought in from the very beginning of this, whether it's an us-against-the-world mentality or just, you know, no one believes in you, any any of that kind of stuff. Like, he clearly has them believing that they are not just going to be there and be a punching bag for season one. Yeah, I mean, I'd be all in if I was on that team. That I saw a lot of criticism for him uh, for the post-game press conference because, and I and I get this, I do. It's not the media's job to pull for you, right? And like root for your team to win. Like, I understand that. I don't think that was really his point, right? I don't think he's asking the media to be like, go Colorado, win every game. but. I think he's just trying to say, like, look, and and let's be real, like, we've all seen the articles and we've heard the talking heads on ESPN and sports radio and whatever talk about how, like, they didn't think his approach would work at Colorado and, you know, definitely wouldn't work right away. And, again, the, the biggest piece of evidence here is that line. TC was favored by three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Clearly, people didn't believe, right? And that's okay. You know, they don't have to, but he's also okay to use this as a motivating thing and come out there and say, hey, like, you guys didn't think we were for real? Well, this team that was ranked 17th, whether they're going to end up being good or not, clearly going into week one, people thought they were at least the, you know, one of the top 25 teams in the country, and they got beat in their stadium by a team that wasn't supposed to win four games. So, 
I, I don't know. I kind of like it. I'm with Dion here. Like, dig in. It may not be totally legit, you know, in terms <laughs> of, like, I don't think everybody's totally against you. I think some of it is definitely some, like, coach speak motivating. But, like, you do you, man. Play your game. Get your dudes fired up. Like, I, go for it. It's working. I mean, Nick Saban is the master of this. Yeah. Nick Saban has grievances all over the place, both real and imagined that he, you know, some article. I mean, Kirby Smart had already won a national championship and last <laughs> year was talking to his players before the game being like, no one believes in you. It's like, <laughs> like you won last year. You're no undefeated. One thought we'd be here. Literally everyone did. I mean, so <laughs> I like I totally get that. But uh, definitely, definitely was funny to see that. And uh, we'll talk more about Colorado here as we get into week two preview. But I want to talk about a couple of the other games, I think, on both of our minds, Sunday and Monday night's games involving two of the class teams of the ACC going in different directions. First, Mm -hmm. Florida State playing a really, really competitive game with LSU for like three quarters. It seemed like it could go either way, like a really well-played game, and then just completely destroying them running away from lsu in the fourth quarter this tough I, I know you've been a big florida state guy you've been saying it all preseason that they're your pick and they have the dudes to win it all and certainly looked like that in this game look my theme for this for this pod and just kind of thinking through week one i'm going all in on overreacting and i know i want to put it out there that like i know that i'm overreacting to things but like I don't know. It kind of makes it fun. It kind of makes college football fun to just kind of be like, all right, I've seen what I need to see. One and oh, Florida State, crown them, ACC champs, college football playoff. Like, look, I know that's an overreaction and we we, we have very little data, but holy shit, did they look good. I mean, this looks like a legit, a legit team. I mean, LSU is good. We know that LSU is good. Florida State looked so much better than them in the second half of that game which especially in week one is where we see teams separate right like that's where you see depth of talent that's where you see game planning like is so telling that they were able to pull away and i'll tell you my biggest take look we went into this game we knew jordan travis was so at worst right he's the second best quarterback in the conference at best, he challenges Drake May for best in the conference. You know, we knew about Johnny Wilson. We knew about Jared Verse on defense and some of the pieces that they had. Keon Coleman. Keon Coleman is a dog. Nine catches, 122 yards, three touchdowns. And he, who knows? Maybe he'll suit up for Leonard Hamilton in the winter. Like, this guy is unreal. I'm, I'm a big fan. He he also got pretty far in recruiting with UVA. So there's like an alternate universe where Keon plays at UVA basketball. Like he he cut them down to like their top eight or something like that. So they, they got pretty far there in those discussions. And uh, I'm not sure he would have played for UVA football. He probably would have transferred out. But you know, <laughs> it's fun to think about. Yeah. yeah, that was one of those games. And this is this is what one of my takeaways watching this and. Some of it is just because I was on the wrong end of some bad betting luck this weekend, which happens. But there are so many things that are like in in college football, there are things that are just so close. So at the end of the third quarter, 
LSU gets a snap off. I think the score was like a three point game or something like that. It was it was within one score. Mm-hmm. LSU throws a deep bomb and Florida State leaves a wide receiver uncovered, basically. It should have been a walk in touchdown on a on a deep bomb up the sideline. And instead it's dropped. It was a little bit underthrown. First play of the fourth quarter, turnover for LSU. And then the entire quarter just turns into a complete disaster and Florida State, it's like a romp. So that one play, like, you know, it's easy to say Florida State was a significantly better team, but that one play changed the whole perspective of that game. And I felt the same way watching the Clemson-Duke game, too, where, like, Clemson outgained Duke in every conceivable category offensively. Moved the ball at will the entire second half. And then just kept fumbling and turning the ball over in the red zone. It was ridiculous. Like, they just had ridiculous turnovers. And yes, like, Duke gets credit for forcing a fumble here or there. But, like, I don't know. It's just, like, at the college level, it's what makes college more fun than the NFL, in my view. Because there is just that level of randomness. They are young kids. They're not professionals. So you're going to see some crazy shit happen Mm -hmm. in these games. But then that also gets magnified when you're playing against a really quality team like Florida State. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think to me, that's the the like, OK, so the Clemson Duke game has some fluky stuff in it. Like, I'm not going to deny that. But at the same time, like the fluky stuff and the fumbles and not being able to capitalize and not just in the red zone, but within the like 10 within the five yard line multiple times, that's still a reflection of your team. So I, I think that's my thing is just like week one, big opportunity, both of these games on national TV, both of these games, highly anticipated in different ways, right? Clemson was still a 13 point favorite in this game. They were expected to win, but they knew they knew it was an opportunity to make a statement because everybody still is talking about Duke coming into the season is like, hey, this team was surprisingly good last year. This could be tough. Riley Leonard's really good. Like, I don't think they overlook Duke here. So it's a big opportunity. What do you do with it? And in Clemson's case, you literally fumble it away and, you know, lose a game that quite frankly could have been even more of a blowout. It was 28-7. It could have been worse than that. There was some stuff in the first half that Duke didn't capitalize on. There were even drives in the second half they didn't capitalize on. Riley Leonard did not have a great game throwing the ball. He was dangerous on the ground, running for 98 yards and a touchdown, but did not throw the ball super well. And and so I, I look at that and think, okay, here's an opportunity Clemson had, did not take advantage. Florida State, an opportunity against one of the best teams in the country. Look, I'm not worried about LSU. I think LSU is going to be a really good team, and they're going to be competitive in the SEC and could be in the college football playoff conversation at the end of the year still. Florida State came out there and took it to them. One of my favorite videos from that game was they were like about to line up for a play. I don't know what down it was or, or what the situation was, but they were probably on like the 30 or so. And as they're about to line up, the play call is coming in. There's a clip where you can see Keon Coleman look to the sideline. He's like gesturing to them like, hey, me, throw it to me. <laughs> like I, he literally is looking at LSU cornerback Deuce Chestnut, great name, Deuce Chestnut on him in man, and he's like, I got this. 
he just runs a basic fade route. They throw it up to him. He catches it for a touchdown. There's some great jokes there. Like, haven't seen a chestnut get roasted by a Coleman like that since my childhood camping trips. Mm. That's some good okay. stuff. I yeah. mean, come on. But <laughs> but just the fact that you like get into this situation and Florida State fully took advantage, took it to a much better opponent, and, and Clemson just, quite frankly, like for lack of a better term, they the bet. Yes, they outgained them, and they were moving the ball at times really well. And I know you took some issues with some of the play calling, but I just look at I think like some of that play calling and some of the way that they played was a a product of the talent that they have. And like, yes, we saw Kate Klubnick throw the ball all over the place and win MVP of the ACC championship game last year, and he clearly has some arm talent, and I understand that, but like. He finishes this game with a QBR of 27.9. <laughs> he did not really look good. And I don't think they fully trust him. And, you know, we can come back to this if we want, but I think we'll need more data on this. And I texted you this at one point. I'd be worried about the defense more than anything. Mm-hmm. They, they could not make plays when they needed them, yeah. especially in the run game. Yeah, I mean, the Riley Leonard touchdown is like the biggest example of that where should have been a wrapped up for a loss in the backfield and instead results in like a 46 yard touchdown run. All three just, of the long touchdowns. I think are never should have happened. Never should have yeah. happened. So like big plays, you are not used to seeing that from Clemson's defense and they've lost Definitely. a lot. I thought they played well at times, but then, you know, when you give up big plays like that, <laughs> it comes back to haunt you. So yeah, definitely, definitely concerning. And you mentioned the play calling. It's not that long ago that Nick Saban was getting questions in the summer for not bringing in Garrett Riley and instead prioritizing Tommy Reese as the offensive coordinator from Notre Dame, who's not known for being an elite play caller by any means, whereas Garrett Riley had just taken TCU to the national championship game as offensive coordinator. I will say, like, my confidence is a little bit shaken in that. Clemson's offense looked very pedestrian, lots of running, you know, up the middle. Kate Klubnick ran the ball way too many times mm-hmm. in that game. Like, I, I know you want to keep teams honest with zone read kind of stuff, but he was running for his life a lot, and it ended up resulting in one of their fumbles was like a botched keep uh, in the red zone. And yeah, you mentioned the fact that he didn't really throw the ball down the field. Like, I I don't know what to make of that. Like, as is that on Klubnik? Is it not a comfort with the offense? Is it Garrett Riley's play calling? Is it that they just don't have the skill positions outside of the running backs, which I think is clearly a strength. You know, like Will Shipley had an amazing game for yeah. Clemson, but I don't know. Like I'm, I picked Clemson as my ACC team, and I'm, I'm going to ride with them all season. But yeah, my confidence is definitely shaken in them. Unfortunately, my confidence is growing with UNC like just, I feel like I should say something nice about them because their defense played really really well against South Carolina their offense played well but like made some mistakes only scored 31 points but their defense definitely improved nine sacks against South Carolina Spencer Rattler was running for his life I don't like it I wish that hadn't happened I'm just gonna go with bad o-line play i i mm, i okay. kind of refuse to give credit to unc here yeah i mean is it a little concerning 
Definitely. For those of us who hate Carolina, they look like they they looked good. You know, I'll say that. It pains me to give much more than that, but they looked good. And I think they they have some talent. And if the NCAA reverses course on Tez Walker at any point, you know, that gets a little scarier. I look, are they gonna get nine sacks every game? Definitely not. That's that's why I just feel like nine sacks is such a crazy number that that's got to be a product on some at some level of offensive line play for South Carolina and I really think that's just kind of what it is is like South Carolina had a good end of the season last year but they're not this is not the class of the SEC I I mean I thought they would win I'm I'm not trying to like walk that back I was wrong about that I I really thought South Carolina would win this game. And they just did not rise to the occasion. They looked bad. It was a, it was a real bad week for the uh, the whole state of South Carolina. I saw uh, <laughs> Ryan McGee had a tweet that said like the uh, state of South Carolina hasn't had a a week this bad since Sherman came through. This was just like like every school in the state, I think, just had a really like Clemson, South Carolina, North Greenville, Wofford. Citadel, Coastal, South Carolina State, Presbyterian, Erskine College, all of those teams lost. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I, I wish it had gone differently, but I'm just not ready to give any sort of credit to Carolina. The thing that stuck out most to me about this game, quite honestly, was Mac Brown's weird choking of Shane Beamer at the oh end of the game. Oh, my God, that was so strange. <laughs> like, what the hell was that? I guess if you've won a hundred games at two schools and become the first coach to do that, you get to just grab somebody by the neck. That's just, you get to, you get to find the closest beamer to you and just grab their neck. What a a weird thing to do. I knew they were close, but wow, that was, uh, boy, that was, that was a whole, that was a whole different thing there that that was going on there. Some real, uh, some 50 shades of Mac. Gross. Well, I had to go vomit. Is yeah. there anything else uh, from week one that you want to discuss before we look forward to week two? Not necessarily. I would just, last thing I'll point out about that Carolina game, Drake May threw two picks. To be quite honest with you, like, you could argue looking at that game, it'd be a tough argument, but like, Spencer Rattler, in spite of constant pressure, might have outplayed him. He didn't throw for any touchdowns, but. Threw for 350 yards um, on 30 or 39 passing compared to Drake May. Like the number, the accuracy numbers weren't bad, but in terms of efficiency, but he he threw two picks and in a game that they were in control of, and it felt like they could run the ball pretty decently in that game. I don't know. I'm just eyeing that. I'm not quite on the Drake May is overrated train yet. I would love for that to be a thing. I'm not quite there yet. I think I still think Cade Klubnik is the most overrated player in the ACC, but just something to watch out for as we go on there. Is Drake May going to be turnover prone, uh, trying to do a little too much? In which case, then I am I will be conducting the Drake May is overrated train. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, I think one of them was like in and out of his receiver's hands. And, still his fault. Oh, uh, yeah. Shouldn't put that throw, much spin on a, the ball. Throw a catchable ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man yeah my uh my only other takeaway from week one there were a lot of games that were kind of sleepy from some of the teams that you would expect to just dominate so sure ohio state 
came out and really struggled yeah. with Indiana for a long time in that game. And, you know, they pulled away because Indiana's not any good. But, yeah, I, I feel like people are not completely sold on Kyle McCord at quarterback there. Even Georgia, which completely dominated uh, in the second half and the scoreboard is, you know, a huge margin. They had like several possessions in the first half right in a row where it was like punt, punt, punt. And so they just didn't quite look as sharp. And, you know, you get that in week one. It's not unexpected for teams to still be figuring it out. You're playing a lot of different people. And, you know, particularly when the competition level is lower, you are maybe saving some, uh, not trying to put everything on film. But I don't know, like the the Ohio State game in particular was like, stood out to me. It was like, this just doesn't look like the same level of a team that everybody thinks is like one of the top five teams in the country. No, I agree. And with, look, the Big Ten is, is going to be tough. Like Michigan looked good. They, they didn't cover, told you so. But <laughs> they look good. And Penn State looked good. You got to watch out. And and by the way, that Penn State game, I technically <laughs> was honest in saying that I did not lose a bet. That's because I got too busy at work and was not able to place the bet on this game. I was going to bet on West Virginia to cover, and I said they would. Penn State, a program that has almost no bad marks on its history. How dare you at the end of the game? You're up 31 to 15 in the last two minutes. You've got the backups in and you go down and try to score and you score with six seconds to go to cover. Got to get those backups some real, real opportunities. This should be investigated. Are you kidding me? There's no doubt in my mind. The Penn State coaching staff bet that spread and they're like, no, we got to go score. We got to cover. This is crazy. This is like, I I was. Listen, man, this scouring Twitter, looking for people who were like, oh, my God, this is wild. And people just like weren't really talking about it. I'm just like, this is nuts. There's a spread here that they clearly were trying to cover. (laughs) I miss the days when like ESPN didn't talk openly about lines and they'd be like, oh, well, some people are happy with that touchdown. You know, like I (laughs) love that. Right. (laughs) But I was waiting for something like that even and got nothing. I think SVP did it as a bad beat. But I was sitting here just apoplectic and I realized I didn't actually place the bet. So I was like, okay, fine. But from just for my integrity and my my legacy on this show, because I said that I didn't think Penn State would cover the way they covered anybody out there who's sitting there listening and is like, shut was wrong. They covered you know the truth. They did not. This is not a real cover. There's an asterisk on this. This is the worst thing to ever happen in the history of Penn State football program, without a doubt. Listen, my take on this is that we are in an era and this Iowa-Iowa State game this week, there'll probably be a lot surrounding the fact that both their programs have players that have been investigated and convicted of betting on their own games. Offensive players betting on the unders. Like, they're Mm. players that were on offense betting basically against their own team to score. I would do if I played for Iowa. That's fair, but I'm just saying, like, that's like an integrity issue. Yeah. If Penn State and their coaching staff are betting on overs on their offense, isn't that good? Like, I, I don't know. That encourages way, them to score. Yes, 
but like I think it's I think it's just if we're gonna have gambling and you're gonna have players and coaches gambling, which is, seems impossible to stop at this point, like just make sure everybody's betting on themselves. I guess then, just I'm having go. a I'm having a hard time living in a world where on one on one end I lose a bet because a Vanderbilt DB could return a pick for a touchdown, but he goes down instead. And then on the other hand, Penn State is in a game they've already won. Instead of kneeling and running out the clock, they're going down to score. Like those two things don't make sense together. Some like can we just have a consistent thing? Nah, nah. And well, my last told you so from week one is Iowa. I told you they couldn't score twenty five points. Oh yeah, I want to talk more about that. Brian Ferentz is is on. He's got he's digging a hole for himself. He's got a he's got to work out of it this week. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> this is a good transition to start talking about week two. Yeah, and the start. slate that's ahead. So let's start with the ACC games first. A just Blech. wonderful ACC slate. Uh, starting on Thursday night, Murray State at Louisville, which I don't know if you saw this. They did post a line for this. 41 and a half points for Louisville, Jeez. despite the fact that Jack Blummer, their quarterback, like in a win Sucks. against Georgia oh. Tech. He's he's not very good, I think. No, he's I don't know. Not good. Very uneven. Yeah, I actually think I kind of like Murray State to cover that. I, I will openly admit I know nothing about Murray State's football team, but they're the racers. A- that well, I knew the the mascot, but that probably means they have speed. So yeah, that's good. Okay, ACC uh, Network. If you want to watch that on Thursday night, I don't. I, no. I simply don't. There's not. It's not like there's other football games you could watch on tomorrow night, but you know, hey, like the NFL. Let's go. Uh, Saturday at eleven. Also on the ACC Network, we have Vandy playing Wake Forest. They're playing at eleven a.m nerds i guess uh they have too much homework to do later in the day <laughs> just kind of knock it out mitch griffs uh with 329 passing yards and three touchdowns against your boy elon yeah meanwhile vandy struggled with hawaii in week one kind of like wake forest here minus 10 that seems like not enough points yeah i actually really like that line yeah like, give me wake minus 10 hey good news on that game to get in the door price you can get tickets for as low as nine dollars mm. yeah there you see, go see you in winston-salem my friend if you're looking for something to do with your mother she's uh she's a big <laughs> fan you go she down is. there with her instead yeah. you could also go to the big game saturday noon on abc notre dame number 10 in the country a seven point favorite at your nc state Wolfpack. i'll let you talk about this one because i have thoughts yeah, this is a big one. I am I'm I I like literally just today this afternoon entered in the period of the week where I started getting real nervous about this game. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like super anxious about this. I think it's a great opportunity for for state to make a state make a statement. Ha. So was, yeah. That used to be their big like tagline. No. Okay. Um I I don't know how confident I feel. Look, if the judgment on this team, if and I'll be consistent, if we're reacting to week one as though it's the complete picture, then like we don't stand a chance, right? If a team that can only beat UConn by 10 is who we are, then I think, yeah, Notre Dame's going to come in and cover that seven and a half point line. Like that, that should be no problem for them. I, I'm not sure that I believe that's who we are. You know, I, I tend to agree with the people who seem to think that states, uh, especially offensive game plan 
was a little vanilla against UConn because they felt like they had them outclassed talent wise and didn't want to show a whole lot before they played Notre Dame week two. I, I buy that to an extent. Um, I don't think that's a full thing, but you know, I think that there could be some elements of that. Um, I mean, I, I buy that to the extent, like if you're up 17 points in a game, but like y'all were within one possession for most of the second half, sure. like until the fourth quarter. So like, you still got to win the game. Like, yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I just think they possibly weren't like airing it out quite the way that I think they 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 might at some point. I mean, maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's all that we got. But I also think some of it really wasn't about game planning and play calling, but more about the fact that like there's a lot of new dudes on that offense, including obviously most notably Brennan Armstrong, who played well, especially you know with his legs was was a big threat. But I think there's some chemistry stuff that was going to take time. It's different when you're at home. Some of the fans, some of the state fans that were up at, at UConn for that game said the environment was a little weird. You know, they were obviously excited, but it's it's UConn football. Like, that's not what we're there for. And and I think that, like, you come to Raleigh, like, that crowd's going to be fired up for Notre Dame. Dave Doran's trying to get people to tailgate overnight. If they allow <laughs> that, it, it'll happen. Those Those people are nuts. They'll go do it. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a big, big game. I think there's no doubt in my mind that the state defense is the toughest defense Notre Dame has faced so far. I think it'll be closer than than a lot of people expect, but I do still think Notre Dame probably wins by by a touchdown or so. Um, but I but I think it'll be a competitive game. Yeah, I agree with you. I see this as something that's whether it's just sheer force of will home game or the NC State defense. I think it'll be close going into the fourth quarter, but. I really like what I've seen from Sam Hartman this year. Like he is playing great, granted against Navy and Tennessee State, so not the most stiff competition, but he's got the second highest QBR of any quarterback in the country right now. He's completed eighty two and a half percent of his passes. Notre Dame's defense is first time in almost forty years that they haven't allowed a touchdown in their first two games of the season. So, you know, their defense is playing pretty well, too. I was surprised at just how, the, you know, NC State and their UConn game just basically turned Brennan Armstrong into a game manager. And like you said, mm. maybe that's play calling. Maybe that's just adjusting. Maybe it's that they don't have as much talent and skill positions and just wanted to run the ball since that's where they have an advantage. But it seemed very plain. It was a very plain performance. It's not something UVA fans certainly are used to seeing from Brennan where he's trying to fit the ball through a tight corner for good or bad so yeah that'll be uh, interesting I, I like Notre Dame in this one even though I do think it'll be close for a while and I think there's a couple of factors there I think some of it may be you know adjusting to new receivers and and all that but also like I think this is this is a guy who is in his last year and you know he wants to he's clearly he has transferred here trying to rehabilitate his image as a quarterback trying to set himself up for the best possible pro prospects and he knows the big knock on him was his turnovers mm -hmm. and so i think he's trying to be a little more careful with the ball the problem is state needs him will need him this weekend to find a find a happy medium right like yes be careful with the ball but also like you're gonna need to take some chances and you there's some talented receivers there who can who can make the plays 
needed. So the you know I, I I'm really excited by conception uh, the freshman receiver we have. I think he's going to be a huge playmaker. Yeah, this is it's a huge test. It's a huge test, and I I, I don't know. I mean, I hope we win. <laughs> uh, I'd like to be more optimistic than just hoping, but. Um, Notre Dame looks good, and and I think it's going to be a good game. Also, at noon in the ACC, this game on ESPN2, Virginia Tech and Purdue. Virginia Tech is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite against a Purdue team that just lost at home against Fresno State. This line stinks. Mm. Why is Virginia Tech only a a two-and-a-half-point favorite? Because they're not very good. Grant Wells just played his maybe one of his best games as Virginia Tech's quarterback. He has a QBR that's ranked 18th nationally, only one spot behind Caleb Williams through one game. They played ODU. But Purdue played a home game against Fresno State. Why is this a two, two and a half point game? I don't know. I, this makes me like I'm not going to actually bet this game because like everything in my brain says Virginia Tech's going to win a home game against a middling purdue team that's that's like what i think yeah but i look at that line and i'm like boy i really want to bet purdue that line is terrible they know something about this matchup that i don't they just know both these teams suck and it's gonna be like it might be three zero <laughs> so we're gonna get a, a recre- that's a cover though we're gonna get a recreation of the uh frank beamer like zero zero with his hands up <laughs> we're gonna get to see that again Please, God, let oh. that happen. Yeah, I don't know. That line just stinks for me. I can't uh, wait. I can't wait for Saturday when my uh, my hokey wife is like, all right, let's turn the tech game on. And I'm like, nope, sorry. We're watching State Notre Dame. You can watch that on your phone. I'm not watching that <laughs> show of a football game. Are you kidding me? Well, you know, you could compromise as a family and instead watch <laughs> another game at noon. James Madison traveling to charlottesville our yeah, hometown man. five and a half point favorites now the line was originally like seven and has dropped down to five and a half the dukes had a weird game one against bucknell they were outgained in the first half and benched their starting quarterback and then in the second half came out and won by 35 mm-hmm. so yeah i i think that they are the better team it is going to be a very interesting environment there uva is going to be doing ceremony for the three players who were killed tragically at the end of last year so it's going to be an emotional atmosphere there are going to be a lot of uva fans because they're trying to pack the stadium there are going to be a lot of jmu fans because it's only 45 50 minutes away this is going to be like a really energetic emotional game and i don't know what to expect especially with uva's quarterback situation tony musket being injured in the tennessee game i think i would have to pick jmu even though i don't I, I would never bet against UVA, but I think yeah. just like objectively, I think I would pick JMU here. This is a legitimate question. I'm not trying to like troll. Losing if they were to lose to JMU, what does that feel like as a is a UVA fan? Is that because in a lot of ways I see JMU sort of as like a little brother, right? It's not mm-hmm. so so like. <laughs> I don't know. Like, how does that rank in terms of like a fandom low for for whose fans? Potentially. I don't think it. Yeah, I mean, I think some fans will see it that way. I don't necessarily see it quite that way. I mean, in in the sense that 
you know, James Madison has had a streak of success. Like yeah, they've, most they've, they've, they've come into the FBS. This is their second year in the FBS. They were really good last year in the Sun Belt. So, and, you know, before that, they were in FCS championships all the time. Mm-hmm. So they're a really good program. Does it sting that a team in their second FBS year is already having this level of success just down the road? Yeah, of course it does. Like, it's it's bad. It reflects poorly on the program. Sure. I don't think losing this game specifically is the, like, dagger that it would be in other circumstances. So like UVA's basketball team played at JMU a couple of years back and lost. And that felt like a, even though it was just like a regular season college basketball game, that felt like a stinging blow mm-hmm. where it was like, oh man, that really sucks that we're losing to this team that is like, has no history of being any good. I don't feel yeah. like that would be this, the case here. Still sucks though. Hope James Madison loses by 50 points. Yeah, I um I'll be pulling for UVA. I got a I have a personal vendetta against James Madison's coach, Kurt Signetti. He came to Elon in twenty seventeen as the head coach. Had some immediate success. He was conference coach of the year at Elon, got Elon up to I think a top five ranking in FCS, got him to the NCAA playoffs, you know, did a great job. And then uh, after two years, jumped ship to go to JMU. And look, I, I kind of get it, but it, it just uh, stung. At the, at the time, they were in the same conference. It just didn't feel right to me. So I hope you guys embarrass him. I don't know how likely that is. I don't think it's very likely. But go who's, you know, I generally pull for UVA when they're not playing a team that I have an interest in. But... <laughs> You know, I think in this situation, I will definitely be a Virginia fan on Saturday. Plus, like, honoring three players, like, come on. How do you not pull for them? Uh, it would be, at, I think it would be moment. more, to, to get back to your question, I think it would be more of a boon to the program to win the game than it is a stinging, yeah, like, devastating loss to lose, I think. I want Mike point. Collins to run for 200 yards and four touchdowns and just and take it to him. I, I don't know. I think that would be the greatest thing. I hope that Musket's okay. I saw Chico Bennett was back at practice, right? He is back. He's he's questionable. There are a lot of people that are questionable. So, you know, he wasn't listed on the depth chart. But Tony Musket was listed on the depth chart and is listed as day-to-day. He's probably not going to practice this week. But I think, I think if Musket plays and is, like, healthy enough to actually throw the ball, it gives UVA a fighter's chance. I think... It would be a lot to ask a true freshman guy to come in in Calandria and just win this kind of game against a talented team. I think that's just... Never know. Never know. I I have one more thing about UVA. Can I just give a piece of advice to UVA? Let's take it easy on the celebrations, yeah? Oh, my God. Can we just cool it a little bit? That is... I saw that in real time. I saw that in real time. And I was worried from my seat that he had like collapsed. I mean, obviously it's a bad injury, but I was worried because he, he just went over sideways and I thought like he had had a heart attack or something like that and like his life was in danger. But yeah, man, like that sliding off the field, injuring both patella tendons, that's brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, wild. Sorry. I, I don't want to make light of it. Like, poor guy, no, honestly. Brutal. But like, 
God, can we just like? I don't think Yuji has a lot of depth to sacrifice. Maybe let's all just cool it a little bit, give a little fist bump, <laughs> and uh, go get some water. Just man, that was rough. Tough look. Yeah. Saturday at noon, ESPN Plus, Holy Cross at Boston College. Jeff Halfley has a 15 and 21 record at BC, and this game is going to be a pretty close line. This could be like a get Jeff Halfley out the door kind of situation here if he loses to Holy Cross. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) I just think you can't lose to Holy Cross, period. Nope, probably not. (laughs) Some other games against the next couple games, we have some big lines that aren't even on the board yet because they're FCS, but South Carolina State at Georgia Tech on ESPN Plus at 1 o'clock. Haynes King looked pretty good. Uh, Texas A&M transfer quarterback for Georgia Tech and their loss against Louisville. He he played really well, and Georgia Tech was like annoyingly competent in the game. I mean, this is one of those that like not a real test, right? But yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely. I think you're seeing signs of an offense and a team that just looks more put together. I don't know if that's the way I want to look at that, but like compared to the end of last year, it just feels like there's a better, the, the, the momentum is positive. So you can expect that they're going to beat South Carolina state, but what does that really mean for the program? It's funny as I'm looking at the spread of games and they had this like ticket price graphic for each one, two bucks. You could go to this game for $2. <laughs> Why not? I mean, if you're Why in not? Atlanta, if you're in Atlanta looking for something to do, go over to Bobby Dodd, Throw them a couple singles and just go in and, I don't know, go for the first half. And people say inflation is too high. Come on. It's great. <laughs> Saturday at 2.15. Got a couple of games here on the ACC slate that start at 15s, which was kind of weird. Clemson mm-hmm. at home against Charleston Southern ACC Network. Get ready for a weird atmosphere of Clemson fans that are not pleased. Yeah. That's going to be a weird game. It is. It is. And, and uh I don't know, man. I feel I feel pretty bad here for Charleston Southern. You know, I think they're gonna get they're gonna get absolutely demolished from a pretty motivated Clemson team who's gonna spend the entire week hearing about how they're frauds and nobody loves them and, and it's all gonna be from me. But then they're gonna <laughs> like they're gonna come out there and just it's gonna be bad. Yeah, I feel bad for the Buccaneers. It's not gonna be a good experience. Saturday at 3.30, Western Michigan is at Syracuse. The line is 24 points. Congratulations to former UVA coach Jason Beck, his first game as offensive coordinator. Dropped 65 points against Colgate. See? Offense is easy. Just uh, just do what Jason Beck's doing, UVA. That'll be fine. Play Colgate every week. (laughs) Saturday at 5.15, App State at UNC. UNC is favored by 18.5 points. Game on the ACC Network. A rematch of the greatest game of all time, minus the actual final score at the end of 63-61 last year. Nine sacks from the UNC front seven. Talked about that. I like App State plus 18 and a half, though. I don't know. That's just a lot of points. Oh, go Apps. I think they're going to... I'd like to pick them to win this game, but I won't. I won't. But to cover, yes. Cover for sure. I think it's a two-touchdown game. This is a perfect example of where you're going to get some like Carolina arrogance against App State. 
you know, they, they, they see them definitely as a little brother. And to be honest with you, like, I think App State's a lot closer to Carolina's level than they'd like to admit. This is going to be a competitive game. Saturday at 6, we've got Lafayette at Duke ESPN+. Plus. My note here, other than pointing out that Lafayette struggled to beat Sacred Heart in Week 1, is that Lafayette's mascot is a leopard. Yeah. And it doesn't have a name. It goes by the leopard mascot. Hmm. What are we doing? What are yeah. we doing, Lafayette? Can't even put effort into that. Give Duke by a thousand. I mean, the only the only thing that would keep Duke from winning by a thousand is if they just kind of play a sleepy game sure. after beating Clemson and like I don't, know. I don't think that's watching that team and watching their reactions and how they carried themselves through that whole team that whole game. I don't think that's who they are. I think the team is going to be fired up, even against a Lafayette opponent. I think they're going to come out and, and take it to them, and they just want to keep showing the world, like, hey, we're legit. We won nine games last year. We are still those dudes. And, yeah, I mean, again, for for a different reason than Charleston Southern going to Clemson, I don't feel great for the Lafayette kids. I, I think that this is going to be uh, – this could get ugly um duke ranked for the first time in a while like yeah no big big time we don't have a line on that yet do we no not yet yeah don't it's care coming. what it is take duke Six thirty on saturday we've got cincinnati going to pittsburgh this is actually maybe one of the most competitive acc games of the weekend and of course this is our first foray into the cw network Woo! what will the graphics look like what will the commentator sound like it will be a must-watch game at 6.30. Plus, you've got uh, Xavier Henderson of Cincinnati, his wide receiver. He had the highest PFF rate rating of any wide receiver in Week 1. Like He yeah. was playing great. Emory Jones, his uh, former teammate at Florida, has transferred together. This is what I think people need to do with transfers. Don't just transfer to a school transfer with somebody you've played with like transfer as a pair like colorado did that back receiver combos yeah go go as a pair and then that way like you're set up to succeed and the coaches will be like well they probably already have chemistry so we have to play them more i don't know that just seems smart i love cincinnati plus seven i do too i was just looking at this this is a this is a lock for me uh give me give me cincinnati straight up yeah let's go Let's go Cincinnati. It's definitely one of my uh, locks of the week as well. Saturday, 830, last game of the day for the ACC. Southern Miss is traveling to Florida State. Southern Miss will get 30 and a half points. So that's a plus for them. But on the negative side, their coach, Will Hall, just said that watching tape, this FSU team is better than the 2021 Alabama team that he played that was (laughs) like one of the best teams ever, but didn't quite win the national championship. That's not so, what you want to hear from your coach before a game. No. <laughs> hey, guys, yeah. I just want to let you know, we don't stand a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Florida State, again, unless they have, like, a really sleepy performance and or, like, rest people or whatever, like, how are they not going to cover that? Yeah. It's a big number, but. It is a big number, but it's a, it, I don't know. I kind of like it. I just think this one's going to be. It's not even going to be funny. It's going to be one of those that you're like, this is sad to watch. And it's going to make those Southern Miss kids wish that they didn't play football anymore. So that's your ACC slate for the to embezzle some money for. Them. 
Bring him back. Bring back Brett Favre. Oh, God. We did miss an ACC game. Did uh, I did you do that again? Yeah, you did. Texas A&M and Miami, the biggest one, probably. Oh, oh, again, I did this because it was on my second yeah, like, yeah, yeah. top 25 things. I and, figured you had it in a separate yeah. category. Sorry. You want to talk about that now, or we just want to... Uh, sure, let's just do let's it. Let's talk about it now. To get into the other games. Texas A&M is a four-and-a-half-point favorite at Miami. Last year's game was supposed to be one of the like must-watch games of the year, and it was a complete dud. Both teams just like couldn't move the ball and punted a bunch of times, and it was gross. I feel like that could happen again this year, even though both teams are better. Miami's mm-hmm. defense was like tearing up Miami of Ohio. Texas A&M has a lot of talent. I don't really know who I think is going to win the game, but I kind of think it'll be a low-scoring, defensive, bruising game. Yeah, I think it will be ugly. I, you know, it's not as if Miami has like a strong home field advantage playing like an hour away from campus. I think it's become such a popular thing to do to kind of hit on both of these teams. We joke every year about how Miami people are like, oh, they're going to be good. They're going to be back to prominence and then they're not. And, and like we enjoy that. And then. A&M like had so much hype going into last year and and just fell flat. So it, I I find it difficult as a fan to separate those because I think that it's it's probably gone too far and there's probably a reality that is somewhere in the middle, but I do think like you, when you look at this A&M team with uh, Bobby Petrino calling the offense like they look good and I I don't know. I I like Texas A&M here. They're giving up. I've got it at four and a half. Is that what you? Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. I like it here. I'm a bigger believer in them than I am Miami. I think the talent is more solid at Texas A&M. I think that, yeah, I I like Texas A&M minus four and a half. I think they cover that. To your point, though, both of these fan bases are insufferable about the olden days and being back and they also are getting, you know, particularly now with Mario Cristobal, like he's only in year two, but he's getting five four-star recruits. Texas A&M had the number one recruiting class in the country two years ago. And you would expect with that level of talent coming in to get better results than what you're getting. I mean, I think that's the main thing. Like Miami yeah. had one of the worst seasons that they've had in 40 years last year with Mario Cristobal at the helm. Like, totally inexcusable for how many talented blue-chip prospects they had on the team. You could probably say the same thing about Jimbo Fisher. So I, they're not disasters. They're both really good programs that are going to be bowl teams and maybe contend outside for uh, their conference. But their fan bases make it real easy to poke fun at them. Like, it's... Oh, 100%. You've, you've, you've accomplished nothing. I have more respect for, like, Boise State, which has never been in a national championship game but consistently is eight wins and their fans are like yeah this is awesome we love the fact that we get eight wins a year <laughs> great stuff yeah this is a game that i wish both teams could lose but i'd rather see miami suffer in conference acc yeah. doing pretty well playing against the sec though we've got sure we've got some some wins under our belt because it means even more in the acc so amen yeah, so that's the ACC slate. Let's talk about a couple of other games, just the grand scheme of things that we're looking forward to watching this weekend. 
first and foremost, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be the Colorado game. How are they going to respond in week two? They play at noon on Fox. Tickets for this game, you mentioned some ticket prices. Mm-hmm. Ticket prices here, I have it at $342 to get you in the door on StubHub. Like They're going pretty expensive <sighs> for this game. Yeah. You know what? I get it. It's prime time. But, and I, listen, I would pay $300 to watch Matt Rule <laughs> lose. Oh, I thought that was the end of the sentence. Go ahead. No, I just lose and cry and come up with excuses. Now, now that it's no longer for my team, I would love to watch it. When I was forced to watch it because he was coaching my team, it was excruciating. But uh, I'm sorry, Nebraska fans. Like, I'm sorry you're stuck with this, but I like Colorado. I'm all in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my theme. I'm overreacting, but I like Colorado here. This is really, really tough for me. This line also stinks, in my opinion, even though pregame, before the TCU win, Nebraska was favored by seven and a half, like coming into this past weekend. So the line has moved a tremendous amount with that perspective in mind. But mm-hmm. having watched Nebraska just like fumble away the game against Minnesota, even though their defense played really, really well, like Minnesota had nothing, could not run the ball the entire game, but managed to blow it in true Nebraska style. Colorado looked great. And they're only favored by three at home. Really, like the Vegas odds makers are saying that these teams are basically even with like a three point home advantage. Boy, that stinks. That that gives me so much pause. Like I I agree with you, just like looking looking at week one, Colorado looks way better. But I am really, really anxious about that line. Like I'll still probably bet Colorado, but man, I don't know. Like I, I get it. That's it's weird for me. It, I, I totally understand. I think it is weird. And I just think, again, we're still just very much in that stage of things where, like, we don't know what to expect from Colorado. So I think they're scrambling to figure it out. And I, I look, I, I promise I'm not just trying to pile on that rule. I don't like him, but I do think he he is overrated. And I think that even sometimes goes into the odds. I think sometimes people have a perception of him that, He's better than he is as a coach, and he has this team doing better than they really are. And excuse me, what was the problem with Nebraska in the past few years? They couldn't win close games. They couldn't finish. And what did we see week one? They couldn't finish. They couldn't win a close game. So this thing comes down to it. I'm taking the quarterback who just threw for 500 yards and four touchdowns. I'm taking the two-way player who's probably the best overall college football player in the country. I'm taking Colorado. I'm taking Prime, and we're just going with it. Sorry, Coach Prime. I don't want to get yelled at. But mm. I do believe, so he can't yell at me for that. Oh, man. Yeah, that'll be one of the more fun games to watch, and it was also one of the most watched Fox games ever in their college yep. football lineup in Week 1. Saturday at 3.30 on ESPN2. This will be a really fun high-scoring game. Ole Miss, 7.5-point favorites at Tulane. Tulane, of of the things I got wrong, I picked uh, South Alabama to win in mm. week one, which they did not. And Tulane played really well. Michael Pratt, their quarterback, 14 for 15, 294 yards, four touchdowns, but did get banged up a little bit in the second half. He's going to play, but is a little bit sore this week. 
I think the bigger loss for Tulane in this game is actually Corey Platt. They have Pratt at quarterback, Platt at linebacker. <laughs> and he had 15 tackles in the game before the end of the third quarter and then got hurt. Mm-hmm. So like he was playing like in a monster game. So I think that's going to be a big loss, particularly for a team, you know, Tulane known for their offense, not necessarily their defense. And Ole Miss is going to score in bunches with that Lane Kiffin offense. So I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I lean Ole Miss, but seven and a half is a lot of points based on how well Tulane's been playing. Yeah, I don't like it in in New Orleans. I don't love it for Ole Miss. I think that there's some overinflated offensive stats there. They played Mercer, so you know you look at the numbers and you're like, yeah, Pratt's numbers look good, but so did Jackson Darts from from Ole Miss. Like threw for over 300 yards, four touchdowns. They had a, a you know just an offensive explosion. Uh, receiver Trey Harris caught four touchdowns, but like they were playing Mercer. Tulane had a little bit more of a challenge against the South Alabama team that, as we talked about last week, is is tough. They're no joke. Yeah, seven and a half. I I I don't know. I, I feel like I'm 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 leaning Green Wave here. I I kind of like them to cover that. Tulane has won each of its last three games as an underdog and covered in 10 of 11 games. So that would be going along with the trend lines there. Love it. Saturday, 3.30, El Asico, a.k.a. the battle for the Cyhawk Trophy. President Donald Trump will be there in attendance to watch Iowa and Iowa State play. As we mentioned earlier, Brian Ferentz, offensive coordinator for Iowa, needs to get 25 points a game in order to keep his job. Now he at needs Iowa. Like 25.1. Yeah, he's got to he's got to make up the points somehow, but unfortunately, Iowa State and Iowa have a robust history of scoring very few points against each other. 5 <laughs> of the last 6 games have been under. Last year's game was a 10-7 Cyclones oh. victory. Here's here's an interesting thing when you're talking about like the the new rules and play calls uh, going down with the clock running after first downs. Iowa State ran 45 plays in their win against Northern Iowa last week, which is the fewest in a win for their program since 1960s. And they they won comfortably. So Mm. fewer fewer plays being allowed in a game, but as uh, Chip Kelly pointed out, still just as many commercials. Amen. I don't know what to make of this game. This game seems like a mess to me. I will take the four points with Iowa State because this game feels like 17-13 or 17-14 mm-hmm. or something awful like that. So I just take the points in the home team. All I know on this one is the the point total is painfully low at 36.5, and I'm still taking the under. Yeah. And I'm yeah. taking the over for number of times I change the channel. <laughs> And like, come to this game and think like, ah, I'll check this out. And like, God, this is boring. Never mind. I'm gonna go watch. I don't know, whatever other three third. I'm gonna go watch Holy Cross. I I feel like I'll watch this just because I hate myself. That's like most of <laughs> your punishment. There's an emptiness yourself. inside of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. A more interesting, exciting game with possibly more scoring. Saturday at seven. Number eleven, Texas taking on number three Alabama on ESPN. It's the college game day game. Texas, a seven-point underdog, and Alabama's got some injury concerns. Their cornerback, uh, Devonta Smith, 
not the wide receiver one who's playing on the Eagles, but a <laughs> cornerback on their team with the same name. He's out. Their safeties both got hurt in the Middle Tennessee State game, but are likely to play. I don't know what to make of this game. I've gone back and forth multiple times on this because I think Alabama on the whole has better players, but I'm not convinced by what I've seen from Jalen Milrow. Like I was watching some of the breakdowns and he threw to like his first option almost every time yep. against Middle Tennessee. Like he doesn't have that scan the field kind of thing that a lot of great quarterbacks do. And so can Texas stop that like initial option the quick throws and just like force him to be a pocket passer. I don't know. I don't know if Texas can do it, but yeah, I don't, I, are you sticking with your Texas is going to win this game outright bet from the preseason? Let me just say first, I, I, I would feel better if this game were not in Tuscaloosa, right? That mm-hmm. that's the thing that kind of gives me pause is I just, it's a tough environment. Not, there's not a lot of teams that have, been able to say in the last several years that they've been able to go into Tuscaloosa and win. I, well, I think, literally in the last couple of years, none of them have been able to. Well, true, Alabama true. has won 21 straight at home. <laughs> true. I, I was thinking like the last decade, I guess I should have yeah. expanded that a little bit more. But, you know, and I, I think that Alabama still has a ton of playmakers on defense. You know, the offense is a little bit, I, I think, less so than it has been in recent years. I, I don't I don't trust Milrow, though. In all of that, I, I think we've yet to see, though, on, on the Texas side of things, you know, I haven't totally seen a performance from Quinn Ewers that makes me feel like, yeah, this is the the one who was promised, right? This is the guy. All that being said, man, Texas is back. <laughs> like, what more do you need? That's all I have to say about this. Texas is back, and this is a, a Longhorn win. It's going to happen. It's going to shock the world. No one believes in them. No one thought they'd be <laughs> here. No one gave them a fighter's chance. But Texas Thanks, is Dion. back. No one wants them to be here. I got the receipts. Yeah. Steve Sarkeesian has the receipts. You know what? Just to be contrarian, I'll pick Alabama, even though I don't feel super confident about it. And I'll go based on this information. Two stats. Number one, Alabama under Nick Saban has never lost to Texas. They played twice. And number two, <laughs> Alabama has 10 Texas natives on the roster, and seven of them, including Jalen Milrow, have names that start with J. That's your... That's my, that's my important stat of this game. Okay. So they are just raiding all of the J players in Texas. Mm. They've got the J advantage. So I'll take Alabama, but, but I probably we, wouldn't want to lay the, the seven. I'd probably Have like we run a comparison to see... How many J names from Texas, you know, Texas has? <laughs> no. Because I just pulled up their roster and I've already hit seven. <laughs> there are a lot of J names. That would actually be a good segment is which letter of the alphabet has the best football I just counted name. eight on offense for Texas. <laughs> <laughs> are they they're originally from Texas? Yeah. Well, hmm. maybe I want to change and my bet then. One, I just got to the defense. Uh, they got a guy named Justice Finkley, who's from Alabama. Uh-oh. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm at like 12. Uh, I, I, I'm i not sure that your stat holds up as an, as an advantage. Just saying, you got to recruit. You got to recruit the Jays There's within so your own many. state. There's so many, man. There's like 20. 
Oh god. It's like half their roster is is J names <laughs> from Texas. J names from Texas. That sounds but like sure, a good. You just, you know, we'll keep going with that as a reason Alabama's gonna win. I'm just trying to be contrarian. I don't sure. know. I got I got no lean one way or the other. Until once I've lost several of my, you know, noon window, three thirty window games, then I will be forced to choose this to chase losses well I, I think my now that i'm looking at the roster i'm i feel even better about my pick for texas because uh texas one of their five kickers on the roster uh, i don't know if he plays at all to be honest with you but his name is bert auburn he's the he's their starting kicker there yeah. you go i that's all i need then texas mm. is back we're done auburn are you kidding me i all right let me this is what's going to happen. He's going to kick a game-winning field goal. What a great story that would be to have a kicker named Auburn make a game-winner in Tuscaloosa to beat Alabama. Mm. Give it to that me. Would be, that would be brutal. I think yeah. a lot of Alabama fans, including many members <laughs> of my family, would not do well with that. So I'm going to root against that. Uh, a couple other games to talk about very quickly. I have Saturday at 7 on Fox. Oregon, fresh off of an 81 to 7 win against Portland State going to Texas Tech where Texas Tech is uh, still hurting from a embarrassing overtime loss at Wyoming a place that you should never play never schedule a game at Wyoming you're going to lose thing to do UVA did that a few years ago under Al Groh and lost and then had one of the best seasons under Al Groh's entire tenure but they lost at Wyoming just never do it Oregon's only favored by six and a half. Mm. Mm. That stinks. That does stink. That makes me think Texas Tech is going to bounce back. Um, yeah, I know that's your philosophy on these things. When the line smells, you like to, to run to that. Run and, to it. And um, I'm just not sure I've ever seen the logic behind that. <laughs> and it's always hard for me to to get into that. I just think that like, you know, we can't pretend like we learned a lot from the drubbing of Portland State. Like, that that means nothing. But I feel like losing to Wyoming ought to mean something. Yeah, I don't know. Six and a half? I like a touchdown here. I the, My one note on Oregon is that they had an amazing running game against Portland State, which, again, not high-level competition, but they ran for, like, a million yards they had uh, four different touchdown carriers, including Marquise Irving, who had four carries for 119 yards, <laughs> meaning he averaged almost 30 yards a carry. Yeah. Is that good? Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Last game I, I have on here. It's kind of a tricky one. Another kind of tricky line. Wisconsin. Yeah. Fresh off of a middling performance against Buffalo against Mo Linguist. Yeah. Having to go to Pullman, one of the toughest places in the country to play, regardless of how good or bad Washington State is. And they're favored by six and a half or six, depending on where you're looking. Cam Ward, who is one of the most coveted uh, FCS transfers from Incarnate Word, uh, looked really, really good in their first game at Washington State. I kind of worried about Wisconsin. I've been really big on them all year, and they were on my overs list, and I think they have a good chance of making the Big Ten championship game. But this game worries me. This one is like has trap written all over it. I think I said it last week. I was like, you know, they're going to come out. They're going to look 
pretty decent against Buffalo. They're going to win the game. People are going to be confident. Be like, all right, this is working. Luke Fickle has them where they need to be. Phil Longo air raid offense is going to work. Everything's going to look good. And there's going to be disappointment. Well, disappointment, thy name is Pullman. Wisconsin is going to lose in Pullman. Washington State pulls this off, so to speak. Cam Ward is going to absolutely torch that defense. I just, uh, yeah, this is, go Cougs. I hope not for my season bets, but it's possible. Certainly possible. If only someone had told you not to bet on Wisconsin for your season bet. Any other games strike your fancy that you want to talk about? Not really. Yeah, looking at this slate, there's a lot of ugly stuff. I mean, I'm a little interested in, we get our first taste of Pac-12 after dark this week with Stanford and USC at 1030. That'll be interesting in the sense of like, I kind of haven't been anticipating that is there going to be this like Pac-12 teams are raring at the bit to go after like USC and UCLA for kind of starting this whole downfall of their conference? Is there going to be like extra hatred? Could things get ugly? But Stanford's not very good. This would have been really appealing like a few years back, but right now it's just not. And USC's favored by 29, and I think it probably will look something like that. But I look at this one as just like, you never know, man. Pac-12 does some weird stuff late at night, and uh, this could be like a strangely competitive game going into like halftime is kind of how I see this playing out. Of course, there's the famous Stanford game where Stanford was like a 41-point underdog against Pete Carroll's USC that like propelled Jim Harbaugh back on the map and had Stanford pretty good for a few years. And then now they're back to... Back to being Stanford. Oh, Jim Harbaugh ain't walking through that door, unfortunately. But Condoleezza Rice might, so. <laughs> For whatever um, that's worth. Yeah. Mm. Well, got him into the ACC, so. Hey, I mean, what more could you want? <laughs> if you have any picks or selections or leans, or best bets, any of that good stuff, you can write into the show at preferred walk-ons at yahoo.com or you can reach us on social media at PWO pod. I am excited for week two of college football. I feel like this will be the perfect opportunity, particularly in the 7 p.m. window. I feel like there are a lot of evening games this week. Yeah. Like our games are over early to get that like stress out of the way and then like 7 p.m. window we can just like have dinner and watch temple and rutgers as you do alabama texas but temple rutgers well you know two screens split screen right 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 yeah that's what i like about this is when my my team plays at noon and i can get the stress part of the day out and then take a little nap and then then i got the 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 big games to watch it's kind of fun should be fun can't wait